Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Really, the point was, what, what's the Democratic Party going to be? I'm still a Democrat. And when I see somebody who really says uh, she's a socialist, um, she's a very uh, a charismatic, captivating candidate. But uh, when you look at the policies, those are not policies that will be supported in very many places across America. And if her win makes her into uh, what Kellyanne Conway called the new face of the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party is not going to have a, a very bright future. But Welcome to Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thank you so much for being with us today. Jam-packed program. We have two guests for you. Stacy on the Right show talkers today are going to be Cassie Smettle, RNC National Press Secretary, and then Philip Nelson. He's an author. He's coming on in hour two. Um, I, I, I have to say, listening to Joe Lieberman just then, uh, talking about the the dangers, the inherent dangers of the Democrats really swinging to the hard left and the inability of them to win national elections with hard left candidates like Bernie Sanders and uh, Ocasio-Cortez. He's sounding the alarm bell. I don't know that Democrats are really listening. And by Democrats, I mean the hardcore activist left that has the bully pulpit and they you know, funnel the different news stories and perspectives to the media. And they are really, really active on the online social media. And they have really the, the grip on what the party says, the presentation of the party. So it's interesting that he's coming out and he's being very, very um, like he's, he's, he's not holding back. And of course, he caucuses as an independent with, with the Democrats, but as an independent and he's run as an independent before because he too was beaten in a primary. And so running as an independent was his way of winning his election. But he's talking about something that's a little more fundamental here. Um, he's talking about the future of the democratic party. And I, I encourage, and we're, we've, we're trying to secure Victor David Hansen as a guest on the program, because in my opinion, right now, he's the, one of the definitive voices on, uh, analysis, analyzing and, and giving good analysis on what happened with the Democrats. And when, when I say what happened, it's a very, very interesting look. If you take the time to really go into it, what happened to the Democrats while President Obama was in office? So he rose to power as, of course, he was, he called himself a community organizer. He ran on a very kind of centrist, moderate, hope and change. You know, he had a great slogan, really, really fantastic presentation when it comes to, you know, marriage and family and all that. And he said he was traditional in those areas. But as he progressed through his first term and then his second term, when he had nothing left, you know, to, to kind of concern himself with, he could throw off the shackles of convention and uh, things that he felt weren't palatable for his national audience being the president of the United States. And that's when he swung to the hard left. Not just on health care, which was a part of the first term, but on the other parts of his agenda, like same-sex marriage. And he dragged huge constituency groups along with him to the left. Really the hardest leftward turn the Democrats have ever accomplished in this country, all done under the auspices of the presidency of one man, Barack Obama. And so we talked about this a little bit this week. We, you know, we've, we've delved into it just a hair. What was he doing? Well, he was doing things that only he could do. So in some ways, when he said he wanted a transformative presidency, not only was he not kidding, but he accomplished much of that because 
it's not that he drug every Democrat with him, but he significantly changed the face of what Democrats pre- present themselves as. It's, it's, it's as if when you're listening to them now and you compare their rhetoric to five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they're unrecognizable. And I'm not talking about comparing some Democrats who are now retired you know, to what people are saying now. I'm talking about what Hillary Clinton says on a regular basis now and compare it to what she said when she was Secretary of State, what she said when she was the senator from New York. She, you, you see her progress harder and harder to the left. She's racing to keep up with Barack Obama. And before that, she was really more of a kind of common sense Democrat, a neocon, definitely strong on national defense, very, very much, uh, you know, in the vein of, look, we, we are the international world power. We, we wield the force of our will and we bend others to that will. And she really put that forward until Barack Obama came forward. And so they they clashed about what to do abroad. And and I think a lot of the inactivity that you saw with them on foreign policy where Barack Obama would say, we're just going to draw a red line, was reflective of the very sharp differences in how America was expected to behave under Hillary Clinton, head of the State Department, as opposed to how Barack Obama saw things going with the reclusive America, America that shrinks back, America that's constantly apologizing and taking credit for ills around the world without taking any of the credit for the good things that we do around the world and the stability that our uh, power engenders around the world. And so she she and he did not have the same uh, direction in mind. And their fighting about it, their, their disagreements on it, basically pulled the entire apparatus to a screeching halt. Yeah, we did just tons and tons of drone attacks, but that didn't yield intel for us. A lot of the things that we were doing around the world before President Obama came in were brought to a halt and changed under his direction, not because Hillary Clinton agreed, but because she was powerless to stop him. But she did disagree. But on the social issues, the black community, largely conservative, I mean, I'm talking on the social issues. So black people don't think that abortion is a fantastic thing and that everybody should have one and you should shout your abortion and you should be proud of it. Blacks, especially church going blacks, the largest segment of the American populace when it comes to percentage who regularly attend church and believe that the Bible is the word of God and pray, actively pray and expect answered prayer from their father in heaven and Jesus Christ, the black community. The Barner Group surveys and studies have been tracking religion in American life for decades. And they, they've always shown blacks to be the largest group. Not only is black church attendance down, but those ideas of social conservatism that really don't show up much in the voter booth, but were still a bedrock belief in the black community, those have changed. And so the, the reflection of that is we see a lot of things that used to be frowned upon that were burgeoning in the black community and really kind of creeping out into the larger society group, those things were at least negative in the opinion of the black community. Out of wedlock births, fatherlessness, you know, incarceration, drug use. These were all frowned upon and especially the homosexual lifestyle. Now it's as if people are saying, well, Barack Obama accepted it and, you know, he was the first black president. And so if it's all right by him, it's all right by me. Now, that's younger generations, of course, millennials, people, uh, you know, in the the younger age group and people who are on that 
crux, people in their 40s and their 50s, are still largely conservative in their beliefs, but they don't feel like they have a home. They don't want to go to the Republicans who've been largely painted as racist incorrectly, obviously incorrectly, but they also don't feel comfortable in the Democrats anymore. And so this is all due to the presidency of Barack Obama. While he was doing all of these things on the social issues and the social side and really changing norms in America, transforming the norms, he was also in pushing these radical ideas and changing and evolving on different things. He was causing people who had, you know, electoral mobility, people who are really, really motivated to get out and vote in the special elections in the spring and the midterm elections in November and the primaries in August and June and July, all, you know, all those those little elections where only the hardcore voters pay attention when they get their little card in the mail. And they're like, oh, election coming up, and they make sure and go to it and vote. Those people said, we, we can't have this radical uh, change in American life. And so they elected Republicans. And so 1,100 seats lost across the country. Untold state legislatures flipped to Republicans because they were trying to combat what they saw as a rogue influence in the White House trying to subvert American culture and radically change the norms. So now you have all of this happen under President Obama. You have Donald Trump come onto the scene. He's he's coming in. His intention is he's the haymaker. He's coming in to wreck stuff. He's he's here to burn it to the ground. And that should be something that's anathema to traditionalists who don't like change, who don't like radical anything. That's conservative Republicans, people who just want to see government shrink so that they can be left alone to live out their their freedom and liberty under the Constitution. But a lot of those people felt like previous Republicans talked a good game, raised a lot of money, went to Washington, D.C. and bought the, the fancy clothes and the second home and started being driven around by staff and forgot where they came from and never delivered on the promises that were made. And so in a very odd twist, the very things that made Barack Obama so palatable to the left, his smooth oratory capability, his, his professor-like demeanor because he was a college professor, and the way he used to adopt different forms of speech. Like every time he said Pakistan, I would just, you know, it's like a verbal tick. He'd say Pakistan. And it was just also uh, romantic for the Democrats. That same aura that he projected that the Democrats adored, the elitism was repugnant to mil- tens of millions of working class Americans who were formerly Democrats and Republicans who were sick of suits telling them what to do. So now you have Donald Trump, biggest upset, in my opinion. You know, he was 98% to lose. <laughs> the odds were definitely not in his favor. But then you see it's also because Hillary Clinton adopted what should have been a winning strategy for her, which was demagoguing uh, Donald Trump as a racist, uh, painting the Republicans as racist, using the playbook of Barack Obama. But it's a unique playbook that it just can't be replicated. And it's never going to work for another Democrat again the way it worked for him. It's not going to work. So a new strategy needs to be employed. Well, for millennials and young people who are seeing they, they want someone radical and transformative, as we see with Donald Trump on the right, they want someone like that for themselves. And so they're turning to these little c- kind of empty headed socialists like, like Ocasio-Cortez someone who can't explain her foreign policy. She says it's not something we discussed around the kitchen table. If you're running for Congress, we don't care what you talked about around the kitchen table. We want to know what you've researched and what you know. 
What do you think about uh, the Palestinians amassing Hamas on the border of Israel and Israel fighting back to prevent an incursion? Why do you think that is a massacre? Why is that not a military engagement that occurred that Israel won? It was their border. They had every right to defend it. If people amassed troops along the any border in the United States, if Canadians suddenly stood up, you know, a few thousand troops along our border with them, our northern border, what do you think we would do? Well, I think they'd probably make a few red phone, you know, conversations, what have you. The two world leaders would talk. But if if the leader of Canada wasn't really willing to chat, we wouldn't just sit there and observe as Canadians storm the border of the United States. We would scramble jets and we'd rain down missiles from on high. That's what you do when military amasses at your border. You surface to air missiles. I mean, we have a bevy of options. There would not be troops from some other country amassing along our border and no response from our U.S. military. And if you don't believe that, look at what we're doing over in Syria, because because apparently President Trump just adores Vladimir Putin. But meanwhile, he has General Mattis actually slaughtering Russian mercenaries, Russian troops. They're not a part of their, their traditional military. They're Russian mercenaries, some of them privately funded, but obviously mostly funded by the Russian government. And we're killing them by the hundreds. Our guys are over there killing these guys by the hundreds. So much so, we've killed so many of them, that a few pansy, limp-wristed Democrats, women uh, in, in Congress, have called General Mattis on the carpet. We played the audio right here on the show where he sat there with a stone-cold demeanor and explained that according to the, our rules of engagement, those troops that are not designated and operating under the flag of one of our allies or someone that we have a military operational agreement with will be utterly destroyed. And when she said, well, why can't we? He said, under military operational rules of engagement, that's what we do. She can't, she doesn't even understand that. And this is who the Democrats are now calling the face of their party. This is who they say is supposed to win national elections. It can't be done especially when you have people like Lieberman, who's actually pretty moderate and normal and reasonable, saying the same thing. All right, when we get back, we'll have Cassie Smeddle, RNC National Press Secretary, right here on Stacey on the Right. Call in at 866-963-2037. We'll be right back. of Redeem Clean felt God call him to support the American Family Association. I'm a laundryman. I'm the son of a laundryman too. I love clean clothes. I love the business. I love everything about it. This project was built exclusively to support AFA and AFR. There's no strings attached. Another thing that I would like to see come out of this is that I would like to see other business people feel a calling to support ministries, wherever and whatever they do to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In addition to your regular AFA giving, Redeem Clean Laundry Detergent allows you to increase your support of AFA just by continuing to wash your family's clothes. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more, find options, and get Redeem Clean products at afastore.net. That's afastore.net. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Ritz with a Legacy Moment. Some years ago, we were discussing some ways in which we could help our younger staff members in their personal development. Someone suggested that we could teach them how God works. I asked, what do you mean by that? The person suggesting it replied, you know, Crawford, the pattern he uses to lead us and direct us. My response was that, uh, aside from the objective statements of Scripture, I'm not so sure there is a pattern. The way God leads you may be different from how he leads me, and the way he worked in my life five years ago might not be the same today. Now, God uses his word to direct our lives. That is rock-solid truth, and I'm not talking about any leading or direction in our lives apart from that. Listen to 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 10 and 14. And David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and will you give them into my hand? Then the Lord said to him, Go up, for I will give them into your hand. Now verse 14, another situation very similar to the former one. God said to him, You shall not go up after them, but circle around behind them. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you shall go out to battle. Same situations, even the same question, but God responded differently. We should seek God, but not make assumptions. Remember, God may want to reveal to you something different and more of himself, even though the circumstances might be the same. Here's what I want you to remember and do today. Don't try to control or predict God. We're called to a life of dependence. Embrace the mystery of the journey, and you'll be surprised what you discover. Crawford Loritz is senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thank you for being here, and uh, thanks for sharing us online social media and hitting the like button and the subscribe button and all that good stuff. AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com are our websites where you can find out more. Thank you for being here today. Uh, It's my pleasure to welcome frequent guests in the program and... Uh, RNC National Press Secretary, Cassie Smettle. Cassie, thanks for coming on today. Hey, Stacey. Great to be with you. It's great to talk to you. I, I've been like between moments on this whole, um, uh, you know, uh, let's abolish ICE, you know, let's let's get rid of it. And And I think what's happened is that they've painted themselves into a corner and now they have no, mm-hmm. uh, they have nowhere to go. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly. Once again, the Democrats have overplayed their hand, which is becoming, this is the true theme of their election. Let's overplay our hand. Let's go as apocalyptic and apoplectic as possible on every issue possible. And here, once again, you're right, they're painted into a corner. And I just love that the House of Representatives put that bill on the floor to say, well, first put the bill, the abolish ICE bill on the floor. And then they ended up with the vote uh, last week or earlier this week, rather, um, to show your support for ICE, and the Democrat Party is so polarized and they're under so much pressure to be as progressive and extreme as possible that they couldn't even vote in support of ICE. It's just really something. So there, there are two parts there to what you're sharing. The first one is that they brought, it, was, it wasn't Republicans, it's not a trick, even though they're saying it's a dirty trick. It's not a trick at all. <laughs> they actually had three of their legislators bring forward a bill 
to abolish ICE. And so, you know, you've got Paul Ryan and he's like, well, okay, if that's what you guys want to do, I see you've submitted a bill here. Let's bring it to a vote because that's what they do. That That's when you bring a bill forward, it's usually because you want people to vote on it. So when he said that, they said, well, you're you're playing dirty tricks in politics with us because we're not we don't we don't, we don't we're not ready to vote on that right now. And so the three of them said, well, we're going to vote no if you bring it forward. And he was like, well, it's your mm-hmm. bill. So, you know, if you I mean, if you don't want it to be brought forward, you, you shouldn't have submitted it. So then the Republicans saw an opening there. Um, hey. Let's let's tell the American people that we, their elected representatives, support ICE, which is something that, oddly enough, Republicans are usually for eliminating agencies and getting rid of certain, you know, uh, duplications and stuff. So it was kind of interesting to see them coming out in support of a government agency. But when you look at what they do, stopping drug trafficking, um, arresting MS-13 who, uh, you know, are beheading our children and running them down in the streets and raping young women and, and, and babies. Um, you kind of feel like this is an agency we could probably get behind and support. So I thought it was a brilliant move on their part to just say, let's everybody raise their hand if you support ICE and everyone else who doesn't, we're all going to look at you and shake our heads. And yeah. And we're going to make sure your constituents know where you stand because a lot of these guys, although they themselves are extreme in their viewpoints, their constituencies, or at least the majority of them, aren't necessarily this extreme in their viewpoints. And so I'm with you. I love the Republicans took advantage of this moment to put the spotlight on them and, and expose them for what they are. So what's next? Because I obviously ICE is not going to be abolished, but we still have this situation at the border where we're basically back to catch and release. And and. I'm I'm not exaggerating when I say that I think it keeps people up at night. I think it's a concern like that we have 56,000 illegal immigrant children who have been left here or sent here by their families from South America and they're in the country. And it's not so much that we're afraid of these children, but we they have to be taken care of. And we already have a half a million children in foster care who are actual American kids who need families and homes and et cetera. So it's this is a crazy situation. Right. And I think so the conversation continues that we need to fix our immigration system and we do need reform. And Republicans continue to be on the right side of the conversation insofar as agreeing that our laws that are currently on the books are not working or are broken and we need to fix them. And while we do have compassion for these children who came here through no fault of their own, it's not fair to those who did come here and go through the legal channels and to Americans. And so conversely, that you've got Democrats who continue to put the priorities and the interests of illegal immigrants over American citizens and those who came through the process legally, that's a real issue for them at the ballot box this November. And certainly I can't speak to what's next on the agenda over in Congress, but from the RNC perspective, we want voters to know what their representatives are doing or not doing or advocating for or not advocating for. We know this is a big deal. We can all agree that we need to fix our immigration system and Congress should work on that. But this whole business of putting the priorities of illegal immigrants over American citizens, to your point, that is what keeps us up at night. And that's something that we need to get people in Congress who don't have inverse priorities like that. Yeah. Um, so latest news out of... Um California, I believe it's San Francisco, they're registering illegal aliens to vote. In Illinois, they're mm-hmm. having city council meetings where they're discussing why people who are here legally 
but are not American citizens, why they're paying taxes but aren't allowed to vote. I mean, these these are radical mm-hmm. changes that are being proposed by so-called Democrats. I mean, I'm 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 actually as someone right. who I oppose the Democrats at every turn. I'm wondering if these are actual Democrats who are proposing these things because Democrats are not actually socialists. If you're a true Democrat, you're not a Republican, but you're also not a socialist. So it's a weird position to be in where I'm questioning if the people who are making these proposals are actually Democrats. How do we get that out there before the voters so everyone knows, look, what's coming down the pipeline is they're going to suggest that people who are here illegally and those who are here legally but are not citizens have the same rights that you have. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think so here's a couple of things that are are happening that fly in the face of the national narrative, which, you know, we know so many in the mainstream media are trying to make it true that we should be out there for these illegals, um, that we should all be pro-sanctuary cities and all of that. But that's not the reality on the ground. I'll give you a great example. So in Florida, where current Governor Rick Scott, of course, you know, he's running for Senate, actually has incredible approval among Hispanics. And one of the reasons why, and we have this system, we have this program that we work with the governor on, is because we have folks from the community, in the community, who work with us and with the governor's office to welcome these new folks to Florida. So we work a lot with Puerto Ricans who are coming to the mainland, but also people who have immigrated here legally, and we call them bienvenidos meetings. And it's like, I think of it kind of like a job fair. You go in, and there's representatives from the local chamber of commerce and from the school districts and all the churches and to show you this is your new community and this is how you can get assimilated and get involved. And yes, you have voter registration as well, but it's first and foremost for the community. And from that perspective, people are saying, I have a great relationship with the Republican Party. These people actually are trying to help me get set up to achieve my American dream. They, they think I can bring value to their country and that's why I came here. Far different narrative than the Democrats in these hyper-progressive areas like San Francisco and as you mentioned, Chicago and Illinois, um, who are saying we we want to skirt around the laws and the rules and get people to come and make you know force you or allow you to be to be a voter. I think that's outside of first of all where the Hispanic community is generally. Those who came here legally, they're happy. They're very proud of their citizenship. They're proud of the process they went through, and that was a hard fought process. They don't have sympathy for those who are cutting the line and getting special favors. So that's one thing that we're seeing. And secondly, when you get right down to it, they're seeing that the Republican Party is the party that much more closely aligns with their values and their vision for their own American dreams, that pride of work. And so I think on the ground and in these communities, that's the benefit of our infrastructure at the Republican Party. But you're seeing um, this much more positive engagement and it flies in the face of this national narrative that there is this move towards sanctuary cities and making loopholes for immigrants. Mm, thank you for sharing that because that that gives me a lot of hope that. Um, we are doing the things that that because I'm 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 not against immigration. I'm absolutely like I think it's wonderful when people decide they want to be Americans and then they go through the process. Our process is so onerous that if you make it all the way through, you really do want to be an American because you've paid a lot, you've waited right. a long time, you've had to go through a lot of hoops, mm-hmm. and so when you finally cross that line. I feel like those people are the ones that you meet that are so they're pro-America and 
they don't have to be political mm-hmm. to be pro-America. That's that's actually it's, it's such a great place to be because they're not really worried about left or right politics. They're just saying what's right. best for the country. Um, and they make great Americans like they, this is this is the way it's supposed to be. And so knowing about that, we we need more of that. We need more opportunities to show people that, yes, we welcome immigrant immigrants who are here lawfully and we're happy that they're in our communities and that they're taking part in American life. And, you know, these that goes against what people are saying about Republicans. That's absolutely the opposite of what uh, we're usually demagogued as. Um, So I I think it's wonderful. Um, So I guess I want to close out and give you the last word by um, kind of touching on we're moving away now from the hysteria that has kind of dominated the news cycle for the past four days about President Trump's comments in Helsinki. And I've been characterizing it as, you know, it's 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 obvious that when he came out after the two hour meeting, it was not the presentation that I'm used to seeing from President Trump. But we all have our good days and our bad days, our off days, what have you in in the scheme of things, what he's doing is what I'm most concerned with. Mm -hmm. And he has been very, very tough on Russia since he's become the president of the United States, much more so his record for his short presidency thus far is so much more brutal towards Russia than anything President Obama did while he was in office. Um, How do we how do we go forward with it's kind of like the the Mueller investigation is on, you know, limping legs. It's like it's been hobbled, but it's still there. And I was expecting it to kind of be wrapping up and maybe it still will by August so that it doesn't impact the midterms. But what are what are you thinking Mm -hmm. or seeing about about the Mueller investigation and, and, you know, going forward, especially since we have the campaign season heating up? Right. Well, of course, I'm of the mindset that I think for all the reasons you described, we need to wrap this up as quickly as possible. Um, We spent a lot of taxpayer dollars on this, and it seems that it's not turned up anything that at least not like they thought it would turn up. and at least against the president. But I, here's what I know for sure. There was a poll out today that said the overwhelming majority of Americans, basically it doesn't matter what the Mueller investigation finds, that's not going to, I'm sorry, the overwhelming majority of Republicans, that's not going to impact their vote or opinion of the president. And I think part of that is conversation we've been having so much of. The Democrats have overplayed their hands. It's the noise and the chatter of this has been it's just volume 12. So People are saying, I don't even know what's going on anymore. I, it's hard to keep track. I don't know what this finding actually means. So people just want to see it wrapped up and make make your decision. Let us know your findings, and we'll go on from there. But this just in perpetuity investigation is not okay. It's not healthy for the country. It's not healthy for the presidency. And we need to know where we're going from here. But I'm at our RNC summer meeting here right now, actually, in Texas. And I was talking with some of our members. Of course, we have three members from committee members from each state. What does this sound like back home? What are you hearing? And one of our committee men this morning put it in a way I just really like it. He said, I got to tell you what, the number one, two, and three most important issue is the economy. And when you got people who are saying, I was so used to seeing going out of business signs, and now I'm seeing we're hiring or we're expanding or opening soon. That's what matters to me. So, yes, we want to make sure that other countries are not um, meddling in our democracy. I think that's a very important cause, of course. But to think that this issue is going to supersede the almighty issue of 
Are you better off now than you were two years ago, four years ago, eight years ago? The economy, our communities, and are we safer? Are our children living productive lives? That's always going to be the number one issue. And I, I don't think anything we can hear on CNN all day long about the Mueller investigation will change that. Ah, perfectly put. Um, I think I think it's good for us to keep that. Um, and, you know, it's for Republicans, we couldn't be happier with the performance of the president right now. And, you know, that's warts and all for real people. We understand that um, just because Obama was such a fantastic communicator and he rarely flubbed in public, which is actually kind of a misnomer, too. He flubbed quite a bit, but they just didn't make a big deal out of it. Doesn't mean he did things that were great for Americans. Meanwhile, you have Donald Trump, who is clearly not trained up in the school of politics 101, you know, speaking 102 and 220 and all that. But he is a master at dressing down his enemies and keeping his promises much more important to us than whether or not he had his best day uh, when he was standing on a podium, you know, next to to this horrible, brutal former head of the KGB like the, I mean, it's almost like what, what do you do when you're standing next to someone who's as repugnant as repugnant can get? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Probably not pick a fight with him. I don't. I'm like, I'm, we're no right. one is sure exactly what he was supposed to do. Um, but I think you know the further close and your enemies closer, right? Yeah, yeah. Just mind. this will just be just be nice because you're probably not going to get anywhere with this guy, and that that has to be right. a reality that we accept. Um, so yeah, I, I I agree with you 100%. We 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 should focus on what we can impact, and voting in November is very important. I I encourage people to get informed. And don't forget to vote. Just the primaries, obviously, still rolling across the country. August is a great month for those, especially here in Missouri. And then also going forward in um, in November. We just have to be determined that we're going to show up and vote. And that will make a huge difference. Um, Cassie, thank you so much for joining us today. Cassie Smettle, RNC National Press Secretary. Awesome to talk to you today. Always great to be with you. Thanks so much, Stacey. All right. Talk again soon. Enjoy the conference. Um, We are going to be moving through the program. I saw a comment from someone saying, what do we what do we do um, when dealing with people who are saying, wake up, you know, and, and people who are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome, who are in our circles, people who are close to us, who we, you know, we care for these people, but they are adamantly opposed to President Trump. I'm going to share something about that. We'll talk about that a little bit when we get back. I have some audio for you, so we'll get to that as well. But I'll I'll take some time to discuss what we can do from the biblical perspective when dealing with conflict. And um, I think it's a great question and a great time to discuss it right now. And so keep it here. Call lines are open at 866-963-2037. And uh, you can find out more at stacyontheright.com. And uh, just exciting to be uh, having time with you today on a Thursday on the show. (laughs) We'll be back with more right after this. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Marriage is like playing football. From the opening kickoff, you start off with adrenaline. But by the end of the game, you're exhausted. Marriage is the same way. You begin your first few years of life together with excitement. Then, years later, you realize you don't have enough adrenaline to keep your marriage at that intense level that you first began with. Marriages go through stages. What's important is to let your spouse know that you are committed to them for life 
and that you love them more than anyone else in the world. You should also lean on Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God your needs. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. It's time to call your senators. We need to tell them to put an end to the liberals' filibuster, switch to a majority vote, and defund Planned Parenthood. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Senators respond to constituent calls. So call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Our country is suffering because of lack of leadership, division, and a disdain for godliness. Urban Family Talk exists to be a prophetic voice as we speak on matters of religion, family, and culture. We will not be silent on issues plaguing our communities today as we sound the alarm of truth, wisdom, and empowerment. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. The crisis at our southern border has stymied all reasoning and thoughtful consideration of what is driving the influx of people irresponsibly dragging tiny children thousands of miles to break our border laws. Most of those arriving here illegally are claiming credible fear that they will suffer violence or reprisals in their home country. The problem with that is that just 5% of all claims made are found to meet our standards for asylum. This doesn't matter because those who are caught at the border are released into America and 95% of them never show for their asylum hearing. The result is a market increase in people competing for low-wage work, which disenfranchises our low-income citizens and is burdening our welfare system. Central American migrants claiming asylum have surged 800% over numbers recorded in 2012. Violence in Central America has declined by 40%. It's time that we made it clear we are closed to illegal entry into our country. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Yeah, Sean, look, I, I think I warned them not just in 2014, but very specifically in 20, 2016, where I called it the largest intelligence failure since 9-11, our failure to understand Putin's plans and intentions. And remember, by that time, we had seen the Russians actively involved in many elections around the globe. So they were actively trying to interfere in elections in Eastern Europe and, and some of the former Soviet uh, states. So this was nothing new at all. And what I was, what I'm most upset about in this whole situation of, of many things, uh, but when you go back to that time period is how they were able to ignore the warnings that we were sending from the House Intelligence Committee. And then lo and behold, after they lost the election, they first tried to blame fake news. And then when that didn't work, they switched it into this whole concept of Russia. So that's Devin Nunez. He's actually discussing uh, with Sean Hannity, the FBI and DOJ leaders trying to wait out the Republican Congress because right now there's nothing to show for the Mueller investigation. And by the way, welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here today. Stacey on the right dot com for more. Um, it, the, the, Devin Nunez is explaining how he's seen the deep state do this. They they they're already there. And, and again, deep state doesn't mean every member of the government, every member of these agencies is against Donald Trump or operating in this way. 
It's the people who are in leadership who we now know have operated in this way and those who are supporting them. And that's a significant number of people, obviously, because of what we've seen with the Lisa Page, Peter Strzok text messages, the proliferation of that whole attitude on the people who are now working on the Mueller investigation, some of them, who all they've only donated to Democrats their entire careers uh, in, in public service and others. And so he's explaining what we now know to be a phenomenon. And it's crazy. It's, it's just crazy that this even has to be a discussion, because when you sign on to work for the federal government, you are agreeing that you're going to work under whichever commander in chief is there. If you're a career appointee, you are someone who works there all the time. You work whether Republicans are in charge or if Democrats are in charge. If an independent were to suddenly be in charge, you'd still be working there. And the minute you feel like you can't work under that administration, it's not your job to stop it. It's your job to leave. You submit your resignation and move on into private life, leave that agency and go to one that's less politically charged, whatever. You have the sky's the limit. All all options are open to you. So what is he saying they're banking on Democrats dropping the investigation. Well, if they can't get an impeachment out of it, it's it's really embarrassing right now. Like chatting with Cassie just a moment ago, it, it's it's kind of evident that if there were collusion, and remember many, many of the people on Capitol Hill who have security clearance have already seen the majority of the evidence that is being generated in the Mueller investigation. So if there were any collusion that were being proven that would have leaked out, right? Republicans would be seeking a way to quietly usher in a Mike Pence presidency or do something that that wouldn't involve a lengthy impeachment that would cripple their agenda. We're not seeing any of that. So we kind of have you know, a, an inkling that this is not what we were told it was going to be. Now, he goes on to say that every time there's any news like any news at all, like President Trump's going to, you know, he's going to NATO. And then when he leaves NATO, he's going to England and he's going to hang out with the queen for a little bit, review the troops, let Melania walk across the cobblestone courtyard looking like a queen. And then they're going to jump on Air Force One and zip on over to Helsinki, where they're going to meet with Putin. And so all of a sudden, this indictment that could have been made literally six months ago, you know, basically any time before last Friday, they decide to make it last Friday because that's how they could dominate the news cycle and set the president up to go into this meeting with Putin with instead of it being conciliatory and them agreeing on something, they got to go into it with this investigation hanging over their heads. So here, here Nunez is talking a little bit more about this. It's number five. And remember, so it's not just about the warnings that I gave in 2014, 15 and 16. It is also a fact that a year and a half ago, the house intelligence committee had more than what's in the Mueller indictment of the 12 Russian uh, officers. Okay, so we had more information than that. Now, and we put it in our report in March. It was in our report that was made public in April. It's heavily redacted, remember, by the Department of Justice and FBI. But we had all this information. And so, you know, the, the thing that I brought up is I just find the timing of this to be very hard to believe, right? You might give them the benefit of the doubt, but why does this always happen? Every time something happens on on one side where we find out a new revelation about what appears to be to be real problems in the FBI and DOJ with this investigation, then all of a sudden they drop an indictment. It's happened time and time and again. And this this one is really bad. And it is. It's really bad. Um, it's, it's bad because it shows animus from the Mueller investigation against their target. They're investigating Donald Trump. Remember, the investigation is supposed to be impartial. 
yes, a prosecutor wants to get the person they think did the crime, but a a prosecutor also has to be willing to accept that perhaps the evidence that they're presenting doesn't support that person being prosecuted. A person who can only every target is guilty, no matter what the evidence shows, that's not a prosecutor. That's a witch hunt. And so anything that even sniffs of bias and a desire to take someone down, regardless of what the evidence says, is going to smack of a witch hunt. And it's going to be something that's frowned upon by anyone who cares about. Remember, if you're supporting the taking down of someone who is innocent just because you don't like them, Gird your loins. Prepare for that same thing to be visited upon you a hundredfold. If you think someone that you don't like deserves to be taken down just because you don't like them, instead of thinking, I don't like that person, I don't like their politics, but if they're innocent, they deserve to go free, then you got a whole lot of stuff coming down the pipeline your way. You got boulders rolling downhill on you that you meant to roll on the other person. Quick, address that. You don't want the boulder rolling back on you. Get yourself right. And that's what we're seeing here. People are so ginned up and excited and almost salivating. They're bloodthirsty for this takedown. Look at the New York New Yorker magazine shows President Trump face planting at the bottom of an escalator on Trump Tower with his thumbs up. It's obvious that he's dead. That's the political discourse right now. The president dead, the president beheaded, the president assassinated. That's what people are not just seeing from leadership and media, but they're eating it up. They're excited by it. They, they want it. They, that, that gets their, their blood pumping. That's wrong. That's wrong. So here's the last little bit from Nunez. He's talking about uh, the GOP losses, perspective losses in Congress, and how that plays into the hands of the Democrats and that that's what many of these career, de- these, so these are career appointees. In other words, they stay there until they want to retire. They don't have an expiration date on their their work, their contract. And they're a part of what Donald Trump calls the swamp that he ran on draining. They're also a part of the apparatus of the Democrats that wants to see the end of the Trump presidency. And the way that they go about doing that is to get the impeachment. But if they can't get the impeachment, they wait. And hopefully the Democrats take control of Congress and they would order the shutdown of the investigation so that the American people would never have to actually be told in unequivocal terms, look, there wasn't anything. He's innocent. So shutting down the investigation leaves the cloud of the possibility of being, him being guilty out there for in perpetuity, crippling his presidency, which would be better for them than simply saying, look, you know, we thought he was guilty. He wasn't guilty. The Russians definitely hacked. They definitely meddled. But they, did, they didn't do so with the help of Donald Trump or really his campaign. It was just th- these things happened. Because then, you know, what happens? If it's not the Russians and Trump working together to steal the election, then they have to just admit that they ran a bad candidate. She ran a bad campaign. She was arrogant. She was very much into herself and didn't think she could lose. And, you know, bam, bam, boom, they lost. No, there's no way they're wanting that. So here he is, number six, talking about that a little bit. It's the oldest trick in the book. So many of the bureaucracies here in Washington uh, know how to wait out Congress. They know to try to plan meetings on a Friday when they know there's not votes or on a Monday when there's not votes. They vol- you know, that's the time that they want to give things. They wait. They know that Congress is going to adjourn next week. And so the more that they delay for no reason, we're waiting on, on, on many documents, as you know, 
we're getting very slow snail pace cooperation that is clearly designed to wait until next week when Congress adjourns. Now, I have news for them. They're still going to get to come in and give depositions. They may think they're not going to, but they're going to be coming in to give depositions throughout the summer. And that's part yeah. of the 42 names that I sent uh, to Chairman Gowdy and Chairman Goodlatte. So I have every expectation that there will be many opportunities for these 42 individuals to come to Congress, even though they have well, tried to wait us out. And I think they, that I think they are. They'd love to see Republicans lose. And, and I say that, I don't want to, I hate to say that, but I, I have to believe the Department of Justice and FBI, the people at the leadership, they are, they are banking on a loss by the Republicans in the fall, which is why people have to understand how important it's going to be to get out and vote in this election to ensure that the members of Congress are returned that are actively involved to ensure, because if the Democrats get control, they're, they're going to drop all of this investigation. They're not going to do anything on this sure, investigation. they'll cover up. Mm. And... So that's just another perspective on what all of us know in our gut, which is, so I want to see people who've broken or subverted our laws or anyone who committed treason, I would want to see that person brought to justice, regardless of their political party or religious affiliation, I would want them to be brought to justice. So this isn't a, a case of when people are, are talking and they're saying, you need to wake up, he's, he's a traitor. When you're deceived you're going to see normal actions. They're going to, your, your paranoia is going to set in. It's going to look like that person's a traitor. And that's a great way to segue into this, this next. I want to answer this question in the last moments of this uh, segment, which was posed on one of the streams. Someone said, you know, family members are saying, wake up, wake up. This is a tough place. Full disclosure. I've talked about this on the show a few times. Um, I have immediate family that I love that are completely and diametrically opposed to me politically. And it has been a really rough road to travel because it used to be that you could disagree with some someone politically. You could still go to lunch with them. You could still be in close communication with them. You could, you know, do your hobbies together like scrapbooking. Your kids could play together. And it was just something that you knew, oh, you know, they're they're right sided. Oh, they're left sided. That's it. It was just it was easy. Um, and it was kind of like a little bit of an elephant in the room. It was almost as if you took a little bit of joy in knowing I'm friends with this person and we disagree on this issue, but we're friends. Our friendship transcends that. And so you took care to kind of avoid bickering about these topics because you knew in the end of things, you're not going to change their mind and they're not going to change your mind. And so it was a happy place of, you know, we just know this about each other, but we like each other. That place doesn't seem to exist anymore. Um, and I, I'm just speaking from my own experience and that of a lot of our close friends who happen to be right-sided, there just isn't any room for people to be good friends and spend lots of time with each other if they're not in the same place politically. That's not biblical. So let's talk about this a little bit. And I really, I thank the, I can't remember who it was that, that typed it in, but thank you for the question. It's a great subject for us to discuss. And Perhaps we'll have to have a whole segment on it to go into it more in depth, but I did want to touch on it today, uh, seeing the question in there, because this is one of those weeks where a lot of terms were thrown around against the president, and then those are, those are smears that they then continue on down and also dirty and sully up people who support the president. Well, he's a traitor. He, he's, he's a Putin lover. So are you. That's the kind of rhetoric that gets us into a dangerous place where we start arguing and we, and we say things and then 
you know, friendships are destroyed, relationships are damaged. So first of all, the first thing we have to remember as Christians when we're dealing with any subject, but politics especially, because politics is that bonfire right now in our political discourse, in our national discourse that is destroying relationships, is that as followers of Christ, we are called to love and serve our neighbors. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. That's the reference verse on that. When asked about the qualification of a neighbor, Jesus told a parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, 25 through 37, which tells us as Christians that our neighbors, this is not a, a, only blacks are my neighbors, only you know people who are in the same income group as me are my neighbors. No, social status, occupation, racial background, ethnic background, whatever it is, our neighbor is to be loved by us the way Christ called us to, which is to love our neighbors. So we don't get to pick and choose who the neighbors are. They, they are our neighbors. It's the people that we interact with. So one of the most important areas in which we can demonstrate Christian love is to our neighbors in the area of politics because it is so incendiary. We need to um, engage in the political arena because it impacts so much of how we as a nation care for the hungry, thirsty, naked, lonely, the travelers in our land, which are the legal immigrants and the illegal immigrants. How are we to treat all of these people? The Bible says, Jesus said, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Now that is not an okay or a green light for us to destroy our border and, you know, illegal immigration Yeehaw. That's not what that means. Now, loving our neighbor and caring for the least of these should be a priority for every one of us. And it means volunteering and influencing laws that encourage human flourishing. Good government and laws are not negligible factors here. So good government, smaller government, government that's not totalitarian, telling you what pronouns you have to use and what bathroom you can use. That is not what God calls us to do. He calls us to speak the truth in love and to be wise. And the only way to be wise is to be informed. And we have to keep politics in its proportion. If you know you can't discuss politics with a relative, simply say to that person, I love you and I want to maintain our relationship. And therefore, I will not discuss politics with you. Not because I don't think we can discuss it, but because every conversation results in damaged feelings and jeopardizes the relationship. And you can do that. And if you decide to do that, it gets you closer to loving your neighbor. We'll touch on this again, but right now we're up for onenewsnow.com news and information and the break. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> 